Beginnings matter. The first time you brought your child home from the hospital. The first time you asked her out and she said yes. The first time you got your license. The first time you bought a home. Life is full of beginnings because beginnings matter. This summer is going to be a new beginning. We're going to explore our way in, our way through, and our way to an incredible reality that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. Those who chose to follow that path were known as followers of the way. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are invited in. The way in begins now. In, in the first century uh, in Rome, groups had to identify under a certain name, uh, as it is even today. When, when you're top dog, when you're, when you're a Caesar or an emperor of the Roman Empire, you want to take a census. You want to know who's out there. You want to know what ragtag group may or may not try to think they're special and awesome and overtake you. And so in Rome, if you gathered publicly as a group and your group was large enough, you had to identify your group's name. And so there was a group of people in the first century that were like, um, uh, they were like, unlike any other group, they, they, they actually formed not out of their unity, but actually out of their diversity. See, in this group, there were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were men, there were women, there were able-bodied people, there were disabled-bodied people, there were highly educated people, uh, lowly educated people, all in this group. And so they, they, they thought the best way to um, describe themselves to the Roman government is that they would basically identify themselves under the name of their leader. And so in the book of Acts, it's either chapter 9 or chapter 12, for the first time, uh, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in Acts, identifies this group of people uh, as Christians, little Christ, followers of Jesus. And, and as, the, as the bumper video had said, before they were ever called Christians, uh, they were known as followers of the way. This ragtag group of men and women on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, causing a ruckus, wondering if the Romans uh, would be overtaken by this group uh, or if they were just another regular group that could kind of just uh, be cast to the side. And so today we're starting a brand new teaching series called The Way, and we're going to experience the Gospel of Mark over the next 12 weeks together. And we created these little field guides called The Way. Think like uh, devotional journal entries. And about six months ago, I sent out an email uh, to some folks in our church, and I said, hey, would you be willing to write a journal entry? Uh, because over the summer, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark from basically June through the end of July. And so thankful that men and women from RCC uh, were willing to share a bit of their story, ask some insightful questions, and also in these journal entries are sections of scripture 
throughout the Gospel of Mark that we will be talking about on the weekends. And so you've got a story, some questions to think about, a scripture to read, and then also a place for you to write down some notes. You can bring these on Sunday for the sermon. You can use this throughout the week. We know that that summer, I mean, I've got a vacation coming up in a few weeks. Uh, People are in and out of church during the summer, and so we wanted to give you something to take with you as you're traveling or as you are in town. You can pick up this uh, at the connection point on your way out. We're just asking you to help us cover the costs. Uh, We're asking for a donation of 10 bucks. If you don't have it, you can can have one. It's church. Uh, If you have somebody that really isn't ready to step into a church but is really interested in Jesus, uh, let me know. I'll buy one for you, okay? Uh, If you have someone that's interested in Jesus and has some Jesus questions, uh, feel free to grab one for them uh, as well. And again, you can grab that uh, on your way out uh, at the connection point. And we're going to divide this group, this series, into three sections. We're going to talk about the way into the kingdom of God. Then we're going to talk about the way through. How do you navigate your way through the kingdom of God, i.e. life as well? And then the third section is going to be the way towards or the way to the kingdom of God. What does it look like to love God? What does it look like to serve other people? What does it look like to be hospitable uh, towards other people? And so I, I would just ask, if you're in town, be here. All right. If you're in town, be here. Uh, if you're not in town, join us on Facebook Live. Welcome to everyone that's watching online. And grab your copy of The Way and journey with us together uh, as a church. And so today we're going to talk about the way of new beginnings, uh, because beginnings matter. You probably remember, guys, the first time your, your wife walked into the, the living room and she said, it's positive, we're pregnant. Right? No? No? Okay. Um, and you remember that, yeah, tough crowd. You remember that feeling uh, taking over you, like, yeah, come on, preacher man, give me the jokes, right? And you remember that feeling that took over you. You remember the first time your dad or mom gave you keys to the car because you finally got your license, right? Beginnings matter, uh, but maybe not. Maybe they don't matter because maybe you're like me and you're the firstborn. You realize before Uber was a thing, you were an Uber to your younger siblings. <laughs> you had to take them everywhere. Do you remember the first time, like this is graduation season, when you graduated from high school and you were getting ready to head into college or maybe the workforce of the military, and you were excited about the possibilities of what could happen with a new beginning? Uh, I was excited to fly to Peoria, Illinois, not because of Peoria, Illinois, but um, I was interviewing for a campus pastor position before I came here. And uh, we took a flight from Cincinnati, where I'm from, to Chicago, and there was a, a, a layover about two hours, and then we had to take another flight to Peoria. Believe it or not, Peoria is an international airport, uh, only because Caterpillar had its headquarters there. They've since moved uh, to Chicago. And so my wife and I are sitting in O'Hare, which is like the worst airport ever. Uh, and um, we were, I was watching a show on Netflix, my wife was reading, and we noticed that our, um, our, our time to take off was getting closer and closer and closer, and so I finally went up, because my wife told me to, I finally went up to the employee behind the desk, and I said, hey, like, we're supposed to take off in 30 minutes, like, is it just my wife and I? How many people need to load this plane? And she said, oh, sorry, sir, your flight has changed, uh, your gate's upstairs. 
I said, well, did you announce it? Did you? Because we've been looking at the screens, and she just kind of looked at me like, just shrugged your shoulders. And so as much as I can run, I ran upstairs, and as, as soon as I got up there, uh, Crystal and I saw the employee by the, by the gate shut the door. And I'm like, no, I need to, I need, I need to fly out for this interview. I want to get this job. And I, thankfully, uh, when they shut the door, thankfully, I called the executive pastor and uh, he was like actually a Christian. And so he made fun of me for a little bit. Then he said, yeah, I'll come up and I'll pick you up and I'll drive three hours north just to pick you up. Beginnings matter whether they start off on the right foot or the wrong foot. And today we're just going to look at Mark uh, chapter one. And we're going to go as best as we can, probably more paragraph by paragraph than we are verse by verse or word by word. If we did that, we'd be in Mark for like 45 years. Uh, but in Mark chapter 1, Jesus talks about a brand new beginning. And it's the first thing out of his mouth, right? The first thing out of his mouth, which we might equate with what's most important, right? And so the first thing out of Jesus' mouth to start his public ministry are these words, Mark 1.15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I promise you that if Jesus said this in 2019, his marketing team would say, do not tell people to repent. It's too offensive, right? You're going to upset some people. But there's a reason why he said that. And it's found in the last, the final two words of this phrase. When Jesus says, repent and believe, I've got some really good news. In the Greek, that's called euangelion. In English, that's called the gospel. And it's not just good news that's sort of like, you know, if you hear something funny, you're just like indifferent, you don't laugh, you just sit there. No, no, no. No, this is news that when you hear it, it wells up in you and goes down deep inside your bones and causes joy to come out of you. You see, the word gospel, good news, wasn't a religious term, it was a political term. Actually, there's an inscription in the Roman Empire of Caesar Augustus that declares his birth, his rule and reign, and his death as good news. When this political leader gets to the top of the helm and becomes leader of the Roman Empire, that will cause people to have a great joy. Well, if you're a history buff, he didn't do that. <laughs> it was the opposite. Caesars and emperors were very, 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 very bad people and would do demonic, wicked things to children, to men, and to women. But yet there is that inscription that politicians would make. If you, if you elect me, right, this doesn't sound familiar, then it will add value to your life. This will be good news. You'll have joy if you elect me to be your leader. Uh, there was <clears throat> this phrase gospel or good news was often used in times of war when, when a country that was enslaved would defeat another country that, was, um, th that owned them or enslaved by them. And tell me if you've heard this in the Bible before. The country that was enslaved and won the war, their leader would tell the country, I've got some euangelion, I've got some good news that's going to cause great joy when you hear this. We won the war. Now tell me if you've heard this phrase or not. You were once a slave. You were once held captive, but now you're free. You see, a lot of the language that Mark, the Gospels, and even Paul uses is a lot of politically subversive language that's going against the Roman Empire. 
right? It's, it's telling people your allegiance is not to America. It's not to Rome. It's not to any other country. Your, your allegiance is to Jesus Christ and the reality that he calls the kingdom of God. Uh, if you want um, sort of an easy but thoughtful book to read throughout the series, I'm doing it. I'm getting a lot of good content from it. Tim Keller wrote a book called Jesus the King, uh, and it's, it's a phenomenal book if you want to read it. Uh, it's an easy read, a great book to take on vacation. And he says this about the gospel. He says, a gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that's been done for you that will change your status forever. And so this is why countries use it when they defeat other countries in war. You were once enslaved to this people, but now you're free. So let's ask the question, all right? I'm not going to assume that everyone in here is a Christian uh, or follows Jesus. So let's ask the question, what's so good about the good news of Jesus? Is he just an, another religious guru? Is he just another religious teacher? Why should we give anything uh, in consideration about following Jesus? Well, here's, I, let me, here's why. Religion is good advice, but the gospel is good news. You see, a lot of people think they're in a relationship with God, but they're just religious. They don't know, they don't know Jesus. And religion does a really good job of like dropping breadcrumbs, right? Like if you do this, if you do that, if you vote a certain way, if you give your monies to these charities, if you do all of these things, do, 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 right? Sounds like the book of Galatians that we just went through. Then God will let you into heaven. And there's no, one, it's, there's no wonder why we went through the book of Galatians. I probably had five or seven conversations with folks from RCC that talked about their religious upbringing of do-do-do, breadcrumbs, religion is good advice, caused them to have uh, PTSD due to their religious church experience. Like for some people, like they could, it was so bad they couldn't even sleep through the night because they thought, a relationship with God was about doing all of these things, following the breadcrumbs, hoping that one day, you know, when they croak, not that they want to die, but when they die, it, they would have led a good life, and so God would allow them into heaven. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is good news that tells you a story about something that has historically, there's something to wrestle with, and objectively happened in the past, which carries a present reality of life transformation and gives somebody a future hope for when they die. The gospel has nothing to do with breadcrumbs. The gospel has everything to do with Jesus living a perfect life on our behalf. It's not good advice. It's really good news. And see, this is why Jesus, this is how Jesus separates himself from all other religious teachers. Jesus did not come out and say, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, I'm a rabbi. He accepted those titles. Uh, uh, he didn't come out and say, I'm a guru, uh, here's my book. Uh, he, he didn't say that. He, he, he didn't write anything in the self-help section in, at Barnes & Noble. Because your debt, <laughs> you cannot help yourself out of it. Somebody has to pay for it on your behalf. And if you believe that, like the Roman military would say in times of war, that is good news because your status has changed forever. You were once enslaved to sin, 
right? You've read the book of Romans, and a guy named Paul says, you were once enslaved, but what? Now you're actually free. So this is what Jesus is actually proposing to all of us. Now, when I'm thinking through this series, you know, you've got your field guides, you've got some mountains behind me. Uh, and in my mind, when I'm, when I'm thinking through this series, it's like all of us in week one are at the beginning of a trailhead, right? I don't know if you've ever been on an excursion or a safari. I grew up in Cincinnati, so we'd go down to Kentucky and hike or uh, crawl basically through the Mammoth Caves. That's wild. That'll make you regret eat, eating uh, fast food before you do that. But you sit in this, this room and you're listening to the trail guide, or you're listening to the leader, and you're wondering, is, is this guy crazy? <laughs> is he going to get me killed? Can I, can I follow this person? And if, and if I, you know, sprain my ankle, if I fall down, if I lose my way, do I trust this guy? Do I trust this girl enough to lead me back uh, to safety? And so I think it's very appropriate to ask, why in the world should anyone trust Jesus with their life? Like, let's not be so religious that just because we're in a building that has the word church on the outside, that we all believe Jesus at face value. See, it's easy in the room, before you go hiking, before you go on a safari, before you go on some excursion to say, yeah, I'm excited, I'm ready to go. Well, that's easy. It's not pitch black yet. It's not, you're not hungry yet. You haven't sprained your ankle yet. You haven't lost your way yet. And so it's so easy to be robotic when it comes to faith and church that we just say, yes, Jesus is the answer, right? Move on. But it doesn't inherently transform us. There's nothing more damaging to our spirit <laughs> to go to church our whole life and yet never know Jesus. And so we're going to ask the question. We're going to ask a lot of hard questions over the next 12 weeks. Why should anyone actually trust Jesus with their life? Is this all a scam? Did he actually live? Did he historically die? Did he historically rise from the dead? And, and why is Jesus any different from Muhammad, from uh, you know, uh, any other world religion? What makes him different? Well, it just depends on what you do with the scriptures. And it depends on what you do with human history, uh, really honestly, for you to decide that. And Mark's going to do his best job to lay out, while it, uh, to show us that Jesus is actually worth following. And he's actually worth entrusting our lives towards. Like, not just like our church attendance, <laughs> but like our finances, our relationships, our sexuality, our forgiveness, all, like everything. We're not putting Jesus first. That's ridiculous. We're, he's inviting us to put Jesus at the center where everything in our life revolves around him. And so this is, how, uh, this is how Mark describes the person of Jesus in Mark 1, 1 through 3. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, what's interesting about this is that Jesus has been wanting to tell you his story and the truth of you from the beginning of creation. When Mark writes in, when Mark writes the beginning of the good news, is he talking about Mark chapter 1 or is he talking about something different? When Mark starts his gospel, he's not talking about Mark chapter 1. He's talking about Genesis chapter 1. 
In other words, Jesus <laughs> is the God of the Old Testament. If you think about what happened in the Old Testament, that's an interesting conversation. And he's the God of the New Testament. Somehow, in like the church world and pop culture, people don't like the God of the Old Testament, but they can really dig Jesus because he's all about peace and love, hugs and Hallmark cards. But if you read the Bible, Jesus claims to have existed before the creation of the world. And Mark is sharing something really interesting with us today, that, that from the beginning, there's been this beautiful story that Jesus actually has been wanting to share with us. And we'll get to that in a second. Mark calls Jesus in Mark chapter 1 some interesting names. He labels Jesus as a Christ, which literally means an anointed royal figure. Jesus is not your homie. He's not, I don't know if you remember those shirts. Maybe that was like a Midwest thing. He's not your BFF, right? Uh, Jesus is some sort of war, a royal political figure that is to be honored and revered. Now, this is a bit, you may not care about this, but in the first century, he's, Mark is kind of saying like Jesus is greater than Caesar. That's dangerous when you say that you're higher than the leader of the free world. You smell what I'm stepping in? You get a lot of trouble for saying that. But this is what Mark is labeling Jesus. Don't put your trust in the government. Don't put your trust in all the other false gods throughout the Roman Empire. Jesus is the God of all political leaders and all false gods throughout the Roman Empire. And then he calls Jesus the Son of God, which isn't that big of a deal, because if you read the Gospels, Pharisees were also called sons of God. It was a sort of a uh, respectful term that would use of like the religious elite males in the first century. But the way in which, we don't have time to get into it, but the way in which Mark uses his language, he's saying that Jesus is equal to God. Jesus is equal to God. This is why Mark starts out in Genesis 1, not Mark chapter 1. Does that, does that make sense? And so that's why Mark records John the Baptist saying, and quoting Isaiah 40, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You do not use the phrase the Lord unless you want to get yourself killed. The Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, these are, these are phrases that you do not say in Sunday school. Because the Lord, although in American Christianity we don't revere and respect Jesus and God the way that we should. Jesus and God are the same thing. Sorry about that. We don't revere and respect God in the same way. We, we are very flippant with our language. In the first century, that was not true. You do not say the name of God just because you can. And yet... Mark is putting pen to paper and saying, no, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. Not just of this Roman Empire, but of the world all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Let me, let me, say, let me say this secondly. Um, so we, we ask, is Jesus worth following? And the second thing I want to say is that Jesus provided a way to address our past and empower us for our future. Now, now this is just week one. It's, I mean, we've got some good stuff coming. We've got some graveyard stuff. We've got some demon possession coming in a few weeks. But, but this is just like, who, who, who is Jesus to Mark? 
okay? And, and Mark seems to say that Jesus is not only a leader greater than Caesar, not only a leader greater than any president, king, or whatever throughout the whole span of human history, that Jesus is God. And so if you're asking, should I trust Jesus with my life? Essentially what Mark is saying, you're trusting the God who created life. And so if you have a pitfall, sort of, you know, sprain your ankle, if you have highs and lows, that will not surprise Jesus. He knows this reality that you're sitting in called life. Even more so, he knows who you are, what you try to hide from, the false self that you live behind, what makes you come alive, what depresses you, what causes you anxiety. According to Mark, there's no better trail guide leader than Jesus himself. And so how does Jesus provide a way to address our past and empower us for our future if we're actually going to follow him? Like, like not church attendance follow him, but church attendance and actually take Jesus into the workplace on Monday. In Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 4 through, uh, I think, 11, Mark lays it out this way. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem. See, now if you're trying to keep a low profile, the Roman uh, government, they're looking at you now went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's, camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Apparently that matters. I, whatever. And so this was his message. After me, <laughs> crazy guy, this is what he's saying. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy uh, to stoop down and untie. That was actually, untying sandals was re reserved for um, the servants of wealthy homes. They would do that for their travelers that would come and visit them. He says, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 9, Mark says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, now this matters, I'll tell you why in a second, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So now you not only have Mark affirming that Jesus is who he is, that you have God the Father affirming that his son is who he claimed to be. And Mark is trying to connect Genesis 1 with Mark 1. See, at the creation of the world, you've got God, God's Spirit, and God's Word. And at baptism, and this is really unique. I'm not really sure what to do with it, but it's just a fun thing to say I know this. Uh, so here it is. I think there might be one other time in the Gospels that this is true. But here is the only time in the Gospels you're going to see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit present at an event. And it just happens to be baptism which is a bigger deal, I think, than sometimes we realize. In Mark chapter 1, you have the Spirit as a dove. He's flying over the waters of creation and Jesus at his baptism. You have God's voice, the Father, affirming, this is my Son, whom I love. If you follow him, uh, yeah, sure, you're going to be disappointed, but he'll show you the way. Sure, you're going to be comforted, but he'll show you the way, right? And then you have God's Word, which is Jesus. Jesus is the, the logos of life. He's the word of life being baptized to begin his public ministry. 
And this is the beginning of Jesus' kingdom of God that he's going to usher into the reality of the Roman first century and even to us today in 2019. See, baptism is our belief that the good news is not only alive, but it's tangible. You can touch it. You can see it. You can taste it. It's our belief that something good has happened on our behalf. And it's our belief that we trust Jesus to navigate us through this life. You know, it's interesting with Jesus. Uh, water does not get turned into wine. Lame people are not healed. Uh, forgiveness of sin does not happen. And miracles do not happen until after Jesus is baptized and receives the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Now, I love Jesus. I think we give him a lot of street cred. But what's happening, you're going to see throughout the Gospel of Mark, isn't Jesus doing these things on his own power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just celebrated Easter, right, a few weeks ago. And Paul says that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, yeah, that guy, he's inside of you. And Jesus says in his public ministry, you're going to do greater things than I am. And so Jesus sets the standard for us as we head into the trail, as we begin the way, repent, believe the good news, express that publicly in baptism. See, baptism is many things, and I'll just close with this. It's two things that I can think tangibly. Baptism is good parenting, and it's also like your wedding day. It's good parenting in that gospel-centered parenting does not allow uh, disobedience to dominate the house. Gospel-centered parenting, Christian parenting, does not allow people to do whatever they want and hope for the best. You see, gospel-centered parenting, by that I mean grace, always says what a thing is. And some of the times we stay away from Jesus because we don't want to name what we've done. Obviously, I mean, for obvious reasons. And we don't want to name what's been done to us. And yet we still come to church every weekend and we wonder if God would let us follow him, if God would accept us, if God would take us in. But God's a gospel-centered parent. And the way, Jesus, the way God allows the sin and grace in our life to hold intention is through this beautiful act of baptism. On the one hand, you're going under the water, sort of publicly confessing whether you know it or not, I'm not good enough to obey the old covenant. I, there's no way possible that I can obey all of those rules. Actually, if I went on a trip with Jesus, I would find my own way to ditch him or to kill him so I could be in charge. And then when you come out of the water, it's this beautiful declaration knowing that Jesus does not, or the Father does not allow sin to go unpunished because he sent his son to the cross on our behalf. And so when we come out of the water, we're raised to new life. We have a new beginning. It's also like our wedding day. You can date however long you want, doesn't matter. You can be engaged for however long you want, it doesn't matter. It's not until, right, you put a ring on it, sign some papers, that it's official. And baptism is the same way. It's our official public declaration of the inner love and joy that we have that Jesus has given us through his death and through his resurrection. May you today realize that no matter where you're at, Today can be the way of new beginnings for you. So let me pray. Jesus, thanks so much for, for the truth of your word. Uh, sometimes these concepts are hard to grasp because we're not in Rome. 
we don't have an, a you know <laughs> we, we don't have a, a, a government that has a, the boot on our necks, um, and so sometimes we we really take a we take for granted, honestly, and so we we we, we thank you, Lord, that, that you've been willing to walk towards us from Genesis to Salem, New Hampshire in 2019 to give us not good advice. Nobody here has time for religion, but to give us your gospel, to give us good news that something has been done for us on our behalf in the past that has a present transformative power that gives us future hope. And today we celebrate that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.